1: multimedia cafe my name is jason spies thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the multimedia cafe a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about well we got a great show in store for you today we're going to talk a little bit about the environment how some reclamation programs work and how you know what things have changed over the last 10 years when it comes to how we perceive the environment and what the media. As well as the schools and as well as the public officials, how they have been framing the environment as well. So, great conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint Inc. He talks about all that, plus much, much more. Michael Clancy with EcoPoint on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. All right, we're going to get right into it here today. My name is Jason Spies. Once again, like I said, this is the Multimedia Cafe. It's a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up right now, Michael Clancy with EcoPoint Incorporated. Michael
2: Clancy
1: with EcoPoint Inc. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program here today. EcoPoint Inc. Inc. Boy I'd love to guess what some companies do sometimes and I'm thinking EcoPoint you guys are a point of the ecology aren't you or what's the name all about how's that Michael?
2: Yeah so the name is kind of focused in our roots which is ecological information and combining that with geospatial information.
1: So ecological information describe that a little bit for our listeners.
2: So we really focus on restoration and plant ecology and trying to maximize the the dollars that are spent and the reclamation efforts that are conducted uh, on behalf of the industry.
1: I was going to mention you sound like you guys come in handy with reclamation when it comes to the oil and gas industry. I imagine, I, I don't know if there's any front end part that's done on, you know, going out and surveying the land or anything like that, but talk to me a little bit about the process that's involved from beginning to end because so many oil companies, you know, they they want to harvest what's there, but their end goal is to actually leave the place better than when they got there. At least that's that's what I've seen a lot of times. Talk to me a little bit about the process.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I think you're completely right that you know often we find these well pads that have been gone through the final abandonment stages and have been fully reclaimed uh, you know, following best practices actually ecologically are more productive and uh, in better shape than than when we showed up. Um, so you know, walking through the initial kind of planning and permitting phases. Uh, It's a really important part for our customers and the industry as a whole to kind of do an initial site survey, understand what the ecological condition of the well pad is and what it is doing before uh, we come in and actually build the well pad. So we'll conduct a pre construction evaluation of the site and, you know, uh, collect uh, important pieces of information like soil topsoil depth, um, soil health, erosion characteristics, plant communities, and just generally other ecological functions like proximity to uh, sensitive areas or wildlife habitat, and kind of categorize the site before the construction occurs. Um, Then as construction occurs, they'll use that information to ensure they're mitigating any impacts that they have. Um, The industry has gotten actually really good at understanding limitations uh, that are in place because of these ecological considerations. So how much topsoil they need to strip, what the soil handling needs to look like, I'd argue uh, the oil and gas industry is the best at uh, these uh, these construction techniques that mitigate the impact that they have of of any uh, development focused industry out there so they'll come in handle the topsoil you do all the uh existing site mitigation that's required during the construction process and then once the initial construction is done and we're reaching initial flowback dates then Uh, We'll initiate what's called the interim reclamation process, and that interim reclamation process is just really stabilizing the initial larger footprint that was required for the development of the pad. Once that's been completed, uh, then we enter that full initial reclamation kind of monitoring phase where, you know, we're making sure the site's not being uh, overtaken by weeds or... Uh, erosion features aren't a big concern you know we're avoiding any uh, potential issues to groundwater or surface water that can come along with these developments and so we'll kind of implement a monitoring program that just ensures everyone is consistent and safe with with their uh, operation of that pad throughout its life cycle um, once those pads, Reach the the end of their life cycle and we are ready to come in and plug and abandon it we'll come back out we'll access the information that we've been gathering over the 20 to 40 years life cycle of that pad uh, maybe shorter in some locations and actually take that information combined with the initial pre-disturbance monitoring that occurred prior to construction and come in, recontour, reshape, claim that well pad back to an initial existing state and then move into uh, a final reclamation procedure where we'll bring back in the target species that were uh, identified during that pre-disturbance or post-disturbance in some, some cases. Uh, seed in with a good seed mix, make sure our soil health is up to where it needs to be and then we'll we'll monitor and make sure that location meets uh, the appropriate adjacent or predisturbance cover criteria uh, as set by whoever the regulating authority is that monitors and controls that uh, in that specific area.
1: One of the things that I've noticed covering the oil and gas industry for about 10 years now is how they have created a very proactive culture from what it was at least when I grew up reading about it and understanding and being told what the industry was what I mean by that is having you know people like yourself or even archaeologists go out there and survey the site ahead of time that's a proactive approach you know and then you layer in some regulations and a few other things Um, I, I understand what you mean by when you said they're probably the or you would argue they're the number one industry when it comes to reclamation and when it comes to you know being a good boy scout or girl scout leaving the land better than when you found it how much of that do you do do you guys kind of talk about i guess because that was a pretty bold statement there about uh you know you that they're they're probably the best that there is in industry to do that um talk to me a little bit more about that
2: yeah well you know i've i've been involved in reclamation in the oil and gas industry my entire career. Um, I grew up with it in western Colorado, Uh, you know, during the late 90s, early 2000s. um, You know, the industry during that time became really aware of the need to mitigate the impact and mitigate the disturbance that's caused by
1: Mr. Michael Clancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. And I've always
0: been here
1: Always been kept warm. I got little shelter.
0: Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Speece. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online.
2: You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise.
1: Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe—a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint Incorporated.
2: Became really aware of the need to mitigate the impact and mitigate the effort, uh, the disturbance that's caused by by the construction of these, you know, critical infrastructure pieces that that they require and that you know our nation requires and so they put a lot of effort into understanding best practices understanding uh, what they needed to do to ensure a successful reclamation whether that was the interim or if that was the uh, post final abandonment reclamation Um, I would say one of the, the greatest and most interesting things that has come out of Reclamation in the industry is the the work that's been done in concert with academia. Um, you know, there's a lot of universities and a lot of individuals and a lot of organizations that are partnering to further the science of Reclamation. Uh, we've spent so much energy time and money on furthering the industry um thanks to oil and gas that we're now at a point where we're able to achieve reclamation success in a a rapid manner and an effective manner and and do these things with the minimal amount of impact to the wildlife or habitat that can can possibly be done um, you know, the University of Wyoming has contributed greatly to the scientific progress there. Uh, there's, there's some research and some development going on there for a variety of things, um, from new innovative monitoring techniques to advanced uh, reclamation procedures. You know, even uh, CSU and Colorado State uh, They've, they've been doing some really interesting things. And when you really start looking into this, you'll see industry's dedication to it. They've funded a lot of this research. They've performed a lot of on-the-ground trials, collected good, sound, quantita- quantitative and statistically valid data to ensure that, look, this, this work we're doing is the best work that we can do. And the most effective, um, you know, one of the things that's unique about the oil and gas industry is its desire for technological advancement um, that doesn't just stop with the ability to extract the resource. Uh, it it also extends into reclaiming the land or, you know, even bettering the ecological function of specific regions. Um, I've seen industry come into to areas, even here on the Western Slope, and put large sums of money and large amounts of effort behind restoration and habitat improvement for uh, mitigation for their, their work with groups like uh, the Muley Foundation, um, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk foundation uh there's been a lot of a lot of focus a lot of energy and a lot of uh, resources dedicated to uh, the improvement of those lands that otherwise wouldn't be done Um, you know these are these are areas where the industry is successful and has a reason to be there uh, and they're now putting a lot of money and a lot of effort into it that otherwise there there just wouldn't be the money there and the, the energy and the the effort to to really understand this stuff.
1: Gentleman made a comment last week on the program talking about how it seems that in the wildlife world the hunters are the ones that make the most investment and seem to put the most assistance to preserving the wildlife and different areas to make sure that there's always a place for the wildlife to grow. Your comment about the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and some of that reminded me of the oil and gas industry seems to be the leaders when it comes to reclamation and being an environmentalists. This day, these days, just like how you know, ironically, the hunters seem to be in the wildlife area. What do you, what do you make of that ironic comment? That it seems the oil and gas industries appears to be the leader in an environmental movement these days.
2: You know, I uh, I couldn't agree more with that comment. Um, you know, it's just a matter of fact that the amount of conservation dollars spent uh, in the United States globally, in fact, our majority of those dollars come from hunters. Um, you know, that's that's a just a cold, hard reality that we have to face. You know, there are some federal programs out there that exist that contribute significantly, but... Hunters do a lot to enhance that. Um, You know, I think that goes hand in hand with what the industry is doing. You know, these guys are out here every day. Um, They enjoy where they work. They're, you know, people just like the rest of us. And everybody is interested in preserving and conserving the habitat that they have. And... There is a lot of money and a lot of effort being put forth into into that conservation. Um, there's a, a unique study going on in the Pinedale field office right now. Uh, it's actually being conducted by the University of Wyoming, and it's talking about sage-grouse habitat improvement as a result of oil and gas development, and particularly the development of... Early uh, annual species, early seral species that provide food and resources for insects and uh, critical um, early f- food sources for sage grouse and in the industry or in the, the area there, um, you know, good pollinating plants that attract a lot of pollinators and provide you know, a wide variety of food sources for uh, sage-grouse and additional species that we never thought would be a a reality. Um, when, When the Pinedale Field Office first started some of their reclamations, or the Jonah Field started some of their reclamation requirements, we saw a lot of disturbance, and we tried to understand what that was. We now are so far along that we're understanding there are there's most certainly uh, complications and issues that are derived from oil and gas development. But there are additionally a lot of benefits uh, that we can bring into the ecosystem. And so, you know, the industry as a whole has really found that we can come into areas that, you know, have undergone extensive previous livestock grazing or land degradation due to invasive species and the industry will come in and make a a really big impact by trying to mitigate that disturbance that previous disturbance or their disturbance and actually enhance that function Um, they're in some cases like you said they're mandated to do that in other cases these the these folks are partnering with Agencies and nonprofits to to further this uh, these efforts just uh, last month, we co hosted a reclamation um, pub talk with the Society for Ecological Restoration with High Point Resources in Greeley, Colorado. And it was a great unique blend of, of people and a lot of like-minded people that otherwise might have seemed at odds with each other, but coming together and uh, you know, enjoying a, a couple beers as well as talking about reclamation and success and different projects and challenges that, that we face as, a, you know, as American citizens in the, in the Intermountain West, we're all interested in.
1: Mr. Michael Clancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a quick pause. We come back. We'll continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint. My name is Jason Spees. This is the Multimedia Cafe.
0: Jason Spees, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
1: I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you
2: want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies.
0: Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.
1: So here's to all of the good thinkers. And here's to the... Lonely drinker, but don't you know. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint Incorporated.
2: And it was a great, unique blend of, of people and a lot of like-minded people that otherwise might have seemed at odds with each other but coming together and uh, you know enjoying a, a couple beers as well as talking about reclamation and success and different projects and challenges that that we face as a you know as American citizens in the in the Intermountain West we're all interested in it and you know the ability of industry to partner with groups like the Society for Ecological Restoration, just really shows their commitment to furthering these efforts.
1: How's everything going in Colorado? Um, Just kind of an update from there. You're in uh, Rifle, Grand Junction, Frutia area. The Western Slope is what I think you called it. Um, I I forgot that's what you guys call it out there. Uh, talk to me, just what's what's happening out there? You know, you got the governor. He actually said the words "war on oil and gas." Um, he kind of did that. Um, wh- you know, the ban, I guess, is what the media is, is calling it. Uh, you know, the um, setback is, I guess, is, is the correct terminology. But uh, you you understand what I'm talking about? Is it do Do you have any sort of anecdotal update? What's going on out there?
2: Um, yeah, well, so SB 181. Um was kind of the, the latest attack and the latest uh, move against the industry. You know, uh, the popular vote de- defeated the Proposition 112, which was effectively a, a very similar bill um, during the election. Um, and uh, as soon as that was complete uh, and, and had lost, next thing we knew, there was – Uh, some new legislation that wasn't put to popular vote and um, was just passed by the senate and 181 is uh, it's been an interesting ride you know a lot of a lot of it is settling down right now and people are really figuring out what's what's going on with the bill and what the impacts are and what kind of work we need to do to ensure that we continue to get permits, and we're able to continue to to develop. Um, you know, uh, on the western slope, we're a little slower right now, uh, just just by the nature of of these resources here. Uh, people are still permitting, still building. Uh, we actually conducted a, a surveying project, a mapping project for. Uh, a large, a large company over here last week that they're planning on building some roads and a couple new pads and pursuing their, their permits with that work, um, you know, over on the front range, I think Weld County is kind of standing out uh, SB 181 was really slated as a local control for uh counties local governments and Well county is just uh i think it was yesterday or the day before came out and said all right well we'll we'll take that on they've come out with draft rules and they've come out with their intentions to actually uh put in place an oil and gas uh, department for the permitting process and they've really said hey you know we'll you, if this is what you guys are saying, we're going to go in, we're going to take it, and we're going to stand up kind of our own regulatory division and try to help the industry get some uh, some permits and get some, some work moving forward here. You know, I think uh, it was kind of a, it, you know, we were riding high from the defeat of the Proposition 112, and then... 181 just came in, snuck in there, and uh, got ramrodded through the, the Senate and passed really quickly, um, signed into law. And we didn't have a whole lot of time to to prepare or, or fight for that. It kind of caught us off guard. Um, but I think now everybody's kind of getting a little more comfortable. You know, once the regulatory agencies figure out what, exactly the impacts of those bills are going to be, or that bill is going to be, Um, you know, we'll know a little more, but, you know, we're, uh, we're resilient. Um, And at this point we're going to just keep, keep moving forward. Um, Hopefully we'll move from a, a point of defense to a point of offense pretty quickly here and really start working to, you know, get ahead of, of those kind of challenges in the future, as well as protect our opportunity going forward with existing permits or some of the, the, uh, regulatory obligations that we're now facing. We've been working really closely with several customers to try to understand the, the reality of some of these rules, um, and how impactful they, they really are, um, you know, we're, we've been struggling to get anything permitted since the bill passed, um, but we are we're fighting forward. Uh, just today, we were working on a couple, so we're we're moving forward. I think everybody's just trying to trying to stay optimistic and see see where we need to go from here.
1: One of the reasons why Michael Clancy on the line with us with EcoPoint. One of the reasons I uh, asked you about it is we've been following this template for a little while now because I believe, and you can go back and listen to my interviews for the last five years, we call it the uh, rise of environmentalism, the cult of environmentalism. And I watched it happen through a number of different things. And then when it happened through Colorado, I noticed a template. Well, then we had Ray Scott on the program. Uh, he's a legislator out in your, your neck of the woods. And he taught from Grand Junction. He talked about uh, the Colorado Blueprint, I think was the name of it. It was a book that was kind of written. So that validated. And then Oregon, of course, has passed it through the Senate. Wyoming has a similar ban with the BLM. Um, you grew up in the industry and you grew up in that Western Slope area. And that's pretty much, like I say, from Rifle to Frutia to. Um, Grand Junction, that's that's oil and gas country out there. From, from my understanding, I've been out there, and from what I hear, is that an accurate statement?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, I mean, you, you guys are getting the pitchforks ready to go already, and you guys are using them to you know write new regulations out, so that's how much of oil and gas country it is. But at the same time, when you look at where the populations are, same things in Texas, same things in North Dakota, number one and number two oil and gas-producing states in the nation – the universities and a lot of the larger cities are outnumbering the growth of the oil and gas communities. And, you know, with Austin and Dallas and out in um, North Dakota, you got Fargo and Grand Forks. So when I see this kind of this rise of environmentalism and the template of, you know, using emotion and that sort of thing, it, it led me to believe that the oil and gas industry needs to really reinvent how they Approach things and how they engage with people and and that sort of thing. Talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts are about. You know, you you mentioned you know going to these socials that sort of thing. That's important, but I think we're at a stage where the oil and gas industry needs to start engaging with the non oil and gas communities and industries a little bit. To I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot more regulation coming from outside the oil and gas communities these days than within, and it's a it's, there, there's no right or wrong answer yeah. on this. It's more of just a, you know, you grew up in the industry and, and you're in the industry. You're seeing it happen firsthand right before your eyes to where your governor calls it a war on oil and gas. And I'm looking at it like, when the heck did the light switch get political? I mean, when did this happen? <laughs> and so, anyway, talk to me a little bit about that, if, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think you, you, you've nailed the exact problem. You know, it's uh, uh, Colorado, you hear the, the state of Boulder uh, bantered about pretty frequently.
1: Mr. Michael Clancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back. We'll continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with EcoPoint. My name is Jason Spees. This is the Multimedia Cafe.
0: Even when the storm comes, I am washed by the
1: Welcome so back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Michael Clancy with Ecopoint Incorporated.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think you, you, you've nailed the exact problem. You know, it's uh, uh, Colorado. You hear the, the state of Boulder Uh, bantered about pretty frequently i think the reality is that you know with the urbanization of america with the population centers of these large urban densities developing so quickly that people are more disconnected with the land um they don't understand uh where they're where they're at in relationship to the land or the land's relationship to them i think there's a an unfortunate uh reality that you know we cherry pick a lot of the science uh that just advocates for our particular point of view um and you see that with you know the the Republic of, of Boulder, as it's called uh, here in Colorado, where you know these folks they they like to see the mountains, or they you know they've come out here for school, or they've grown up in these large urban centers, and they don't understand what it's like to live in a rural area, um, what it's like to uh, really experience the land and the interaction of the industry with with your area, and they they feel like they're they're on a higher plane or a different level than the folks that are in the industry that are experiencing this stuff that you know live it day to day. I you know we're seeing consistent scientific studies at this point that are refuting a lot of the claims or a lot of the issues that have been. Uh, you know, kind of the, the backstop for some of this rise in environmentalism. Uh, and I think ultimately the efforts that the industry is putting forth right now with their intentions for oil, uh, for understanding their impact on the land for mitigating any of their issues with air, water, soil, um, that you know we're now getting to a point where you can't just easily refute or point the, the finger uh, in a in a scientific way at the industry anymore um, you know there was just so much bias information coming out that wasn't uh, it wasn't a sound it wasn't on a sound scientific standing and now here we are uh, in in 2019, and we're seeing a lot of this, this information or uh, this, these historic scientific data sets, just proving proving wrong, or they were ultimately driven by some form of a bias. Um, you know, I think we've seen that here in Colorado a lot more uh, recently and a lot more prevalently. But it's that bias has been around for. For quite some time and ultimately i think those kind of arguments are they're going to show their true colors um you know with all the progress that's being made from the industry's side um, people will really be hard pressed to continue to just blindly throw throw rocks at, at industry without really understanding the impacts of stuff um, or how these communities and people uh, that work and live in the industry or in these areas really do understand and really do have a commitment to engaging effectively and appropriately with the regulations or our moral obligations or uh, any of our efforts to, to do what we need to, to, like you said, keep the light switch on.
1: I'd like to know your opinion as somebody from the industry on what we're doing and maybe what, you know, if the oil and gas industry, same old, same old, or if we need to start thinking outside the box and trying some things that are fun and engaging and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, um, you know, ultimately when – it's a big problem that you're talking about
1: here. Okay, good, because I, I didn't I did want to turn a mountain into a molehill, but at the same time, when we got two presidential candidates talking about banning our industry and the new Green Deal, somebody's got to step up and say something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a big issue. Um, you know, it's kind of red red riding hood syndrome here. Um, you know, people making making it out making out the industry to be the big bad wolf um i think really spreading and understanding the idea of uh what we uh, of who we are what we do and what we stand for is really important um you know and i i think that starts locally i think that starts with uh uh Reaching out and, and partnering with organizations like you've Johnny Green, you guys have partnered with, you know, uh, us and High Point Resources, uh, partnering with the Society for Ecological Restoration. I know that um, a lot of a lot of industry has par- partnered with academia and really tried to dr- drive that forward. Um you know it's a it's a big industry it's an important industry so it has a lot of attention to it um you know my my work at ecopoint has been spun out of uh out of the geospatial world and you know doing a lot of drone mapping a lot of technology uh, a lot of mapping work um, and we're doing innovative interesting things uh, that as the society shifts towards the technology uh you know with consumerization of i.t as i like to call it with cell phones like you mentioned earlier you know people understanding that the industry's there it's on the forefront on a technological basis it's there on an ecological basis it's there on a production basis you know, we're really on the front edge of a lot of things um, I've done a, a lot of work with uh, Doug Dennison
1: and that was Michael Clancy with eco point incorporated to listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the crude that's the crude to check out other exclusive interviews like I said as well as our social media network Go to the CrudeLife.com, the Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network, but we ask you to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all the different social media sites that we have, so you go to the crude click on the Social Media tab, and that's where the Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Okay, that was like a train wreck. Wow, that one, see what happens when, when you decide you're gonna go away from your notes, and some days You do it every day, but you still need that note. You still need the reminder. You take things for granted. This is one of those moments in life right now where I'm breaking. I'm going outside of the norm to say we cannot take life for granted. When you do, that's when you slip up, you step up, you mess up, you go outside your comfort zone, and you start rambling on the radio because you're not sure what to say. So... Let us let my failings be your success. All right, that's going to do it, folks, for today's Multimedia Cafe. Thank you very much for choosing us as part of your content. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. Of course, if you're tuning in on the interweb or maybe you're downloading us on iTunes or one of the podcast platforms, thank you very much, 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 much appreciated here at the Crude Life Media Network and the Multimedia Cafe. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice.